A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Arabic is, according to estimates, the fifth most widely spoken language in the world today. It serves as an official language across the Middle East and North Africa, even if it is spoken in a number of different dialects. Arabic also serves as a liturgical language within the religion of Islam, being the language of the Quran and thus imbued with a lot of religious significance. As such, it is directly linked to divine revelation and has a significant role to play in history. Muslims across the world read the Quran in Arabic daily, even if they don't understand the words themselves. It goes without saying that Arabic therefore has a lot of legend associated with it. Because it is the language of the Quran, God's unmediated speech according to the majority of Muslims, it has almost a divine status. Some Muslims historically have considered Arabic to be the one language with which God communicates with mankind, and that Arabic is the language spoken by the angels in heaven, thus being somehow eternal. But if we approach things from a historical and archaeological perspective, looking at material that we can date, study, and scrutinize, what picture emerges then about the origins and development of the Arabic language? Where did it come from? Who spoke it, and what can that tell us about the ancient world? Arabic is a Semitic language. This means that it is closely related to other languages in that family, and anyone who speaks these languages will know how many similarities and points of overlap there can be between them. Just look at a word like salam and shalom in Arabic and Hebrew, for example, both meaning peace. So we know that Arabic comes from the Semitic family of languages and that it developed alongside other languages in that category. But where does Arabic in particular come from? 
Well, this is a pretty difficult question to answer because languages are always changing and evolving. Now, I am not a linguist, and so I am venturing somewhat outside of my uh, field of knowledge here, more so than I usually am. So I highly suggest and, and recommend that you check out the uh, literature and the sources that I will leave in the description for a more uh, proper um, run-through, a proper studies in this field by actual experts. Many have tried to explain the origins of the Arabic language. There have been many mythical accounts, for example in Ibn al-Kalbi, the writer of the Kitab al-Asnam, or Book of Idols, who we talked about in the episode about pre-Islamic Arabia, he writes that it was the Amaliq, giants who came from Babylon, who first spoke Arabic and took it with them to Arabia. Putting aside these mythical accounts, one very pervasive theory and widely accepted idea is that Arabic originates in southern Arabia and around modern-day Yemen, and that it later from that spread northward across the peninsula. But in fact, recent revolutionary scholarship has suggested that this is actually false. Indeed, it seems that the situation was instead reversed. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and uh, back up a little bit. As I mentioned in the episode about pre-Islamic Arabia and its religious traditions, we are really witnessing an uh, incredibly fruitful and interesting period in the academic study of, of pre-Islamic Arabia or ancient Arabia generally. There is huge new finds and, and discoveries being made all the time, which is giving us new perspectives on this culture. And this material shows that in ancient Arabia, there were a whole host of different languages spoken across the Arabian Peninsula. In no way was there a universal Arabic spoken across the region until basically after the arrival of Islam. Indeed, the languages that were spoken and written in what is today Yemen was as far removed from modern Arabic as Hebrew is. Not only was there a myriad of different languages spoken, but also a lot of different scripts or alphabets. Now, some of these alphabets can be read by scholars today, while others remain undeciphered. We have in southern Arabia scripts like Sabaic and Hadramitic, and in northern Arabia there is the Thamudic languages, so Thamudic B, C, etc. And then there's also uh, scripts like Hismaic and Safaitic. And if we look at any of those alphabets, none of them look anything like the Arabic script that we know and love. So this is the first picture we need to have in mind. Ancient Arabia was a multilingual place filled with various languages and scripts in which those languages were expressed. But where is our Arabic then? Did it even exist in the ancient world? Now, some scholars have argued that Arabic as a language really only arrives very shortly before the birth of Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. But this is really only true if we connect the Arabic language itself specifically with the Arabic script. Because indeed, like when we talk about cultures or religions, languages too are always constantly evolving. It's always changing. And if we accept that less narrow view of the Arabic language, things start to open up a little bit more and we can start to see traces of Arabic further back in history. No one language just arrives out of nowhere, completed, and then just stays that way. Instead, languages are always transforming, reacting to other languages, interacting with neighboring ways, and finding new ways of expression. 
it would be foolish to expect to find classical Arabic as we know it today back in 500 BC or whatever. And the same goes for any other language. But as I said, if we accept this broader and more nuanced way of looking at language, the door opens up a little bit more. Because indeed, even as far back as the second half of the first millennium BC, we find a few inscriptions and examples of language expression that does have strong characteristics of Arabic, and which probably is an earlier form of that very language. The difference here is that these examples of Proto-Arabic are not written in the Arabic script, which wasn't invented yet, but in various different alphabets. It is only when we read them out loud, so to say, that we recognize its character as being essentially an Arabic, or close to Arabic. Now, interestingly, all of these examples, basically, of the earliest forms or examples of Arabic do not come from southern Arabia, as has been presumed before, but instead all of the examples are from the northernmost part of Arabia, in places like Syria and Jordan. Now this makes a lot of sense, of course, since Arabic is so closely related to languages like Hebrew and Aramaic, which were languages that were widely spoken in that general region, in the more northern parts of Arabia, the Middle East, and the Levant, and so on. In other words, Arabic is clearly developing at this time in a diverse environment, both culturally, religiously, and linguistically, and it's developing alongside its sister languages like Hebrew and Aramaic, which are very closely related to it. Now this might be a good time to dispel a very common myth that the ancient Arabs were illiterate. Indeed, there are thousands upon thousands of inscriptions from this region that shows us that uh, the Arabs had a very high rate of literacy, especially in the northern parts of Arabia. The scholar of languages Michael MacDonald writes, quote, Literacy seems to have been extraordinarily widespread, not only among these settled populations, but also among the nomads. Indeed, these scores of thousands of graffiti on the rocks of the Syrio-Arabian deserts suggest that it must have been almost universal among the latter. By the Roman period, it is probable that a higher proportion of the population in this region was functionally literate than in any other area of the ancient world. So, as I said, we have a few examples of Arabic or Proto-Arabic from very early on, so close to 1000 BC, but it's really only when we get much closer to the turn of that millennium, around year one, basically, that we start to see a real abundance of examples of Arabic. Especially in the period between the 2nd century BC to around the 4th century AD, there are thousands and thousands of inscriptions in northern Arabia that contain early forms and examples of the Arabic language. Most of these inscriptions are in the Safaitic and Hismaic scripts, which were used primarily in southern Syria, Jordan, and the most northern parts of modern Saudi Arabia. But even so, the Arabic we find in these texts are sometimes a bit different from the Arabic that we know in its classical form. These differences have led some scholars to argue that this language shouldn't be categorized as Arabic, but as one form of the wider group known as Ancient North Arabian. For example, one of the most distinguishing features of Arabic is its use of the definite article al, as in al-kitab, meaning the book, or al-Qur'an, meaning the Qur'an. But the majority of Safaitic and Hismaic inscriptions instead use the definite article ha, similar to in Hebrew. Like in the following example, quote, Lihamlet bin Salem halest, which means by Hamlet, son of Salem, the bandit. So we can see that 
the the particular character characteristic form of Arabic, the definite article al, doesn't really appear in most of the inscriptions, even though there are examples of that too. And this has led some scholars to say that this shouldn't be considered Arabic. But again, if we accept the less narrow view of language and recognize that languages change and that they are diverse and varied, and also look at all the other similarities to Arabic that we find in these inscriptions, I think it's safe to say that this is, in some ways, at least an earlier form of that language. So that's the general picture in the earliest period. Arabic appears in northern Arabia, written by people who were most likely referred to as Arabs, as Arab, either by themselves or by others, and this language was written in various different scripts in the region, including Safaitic, Hismaic, and even Greek, for example. And sometime after this period, it seems that the Arabic language started to spread southward into the Arabian Peninsula. It is in the first couple of centuries AD that we see the first examples of the word Arab being used in southern Arabia, uh, although at the same time there is no evidence that the Arabic language was spoken here until really the post-Islamic period. So with this general picture in mind, the natural follow-up question is, well, okay, the Arabic language seemed to exist in Northern Arabia, but when did the Arabic script appear? And when did Arabic, the language, take the form that we know it as today? And to answer those questions, it's time to talk about one of the most important factors in the development of the Arabic language. That is the Nabataeans. The Nabataean kingdom was an Arab state that ruled in Northern Arabia and the Southern Levant from the 3rd century BC to the 1st century AD when it was annexed by the Romans. The Nabataeans were a rich and flourishing culture that built magnificent cities and monuments. They are most famous for their capital city Petra in modern-day Jordan, which was a major point in trade routes across the Middle East in antiquity. Now, the Nabataeans spoke Arabic as their everyday language, the kind of Arabic that we can see in the ancient inscriptions, which we have talked about, varied as it was. But for all their official documents and business correspondences, they used Aramaic, the kind of lingua franca of the region at the time, and wrote this Aramaic in a unique script. Now, what happens here is that we see over the course of time how the Nabataean script, primarily used to write Aramaic, gradually started to be used to write Arabic. After the Nabataeans were conquered by the Romans and their kingdom ended as such, people still continued to write in the Nabataean script. And when we look at this script, especially as it develops and changes during the first couple of centuries AD, we see a script that really starts to resemble the later Arabic script. Take a look at these Nabataean inscriptions from the early 4th century, for example. And once we move even further forward into history, we can see how the evolving Nabataean script not only is used further south in Arabia, it is spreading as a script used to write, it's becoming more popular across the peninsula, but also how it becomes a script for writing the Arabic language proper, and that by around the late 5th century or early 6th century, we finally have examples of the Arabic that we all know so well, both in style and in script. There is, for example, the famous Haran inscription from 568 AD. But notice how late this is in history. By the time we get a complete Arabic language and script, we are only about a century before the life of the Prophet Muhammad. 
Now, that isn't to say that Arabic didn't exist prior to this, as we have seen. We have seen that Arabic did exist, but that it evolved and changed and, and existed in, in various different forms. It is really only this form of the language that had developed by the early 6th century that was later canonized into, into an official classical Arabic. But given the fact that we've seen Arabic and the language evolve so much over the centuries and the millennia, how come that this particular form was the one that survived? And this is, of course, where the religion of Islam makes its very dramatic entrance. As we all know, the Quran is in Arabic. Being God's word and divine revelation, according to Muslims, its contents had immediate sacred status. It was important for reciters and readers of the Qur'an to be able to pronounce and understand it properly and to safeguard the language that it contains. It is for this reason that we see grammarians in the post-Islamic period starting to create a system of grammar, linguistic rules and other technical aspects of the language. When it comes to the Arabic script in particular, the situation is similar. The earliest manuscripts of the Qur'an did not contain any short vowels. It basically only had consonants. The short vowels of the Arabic language, known as fatha, kasra, and damma, and corresponds to the sounds a, i, and u, uh, respectively, uh, was developed in the centuries after the Qur'an was uh, written down or had been revealed in order to fix its pronunciation and meaning, since small vowel differences can change the meaning of words and whole sentences. So in a lot of ways, the Qur'an is the primary source for the classical Arabic language. It was the Qur'an and its language that determined what became official Arabic and has served as its kind of gold standard ever since. Through the Qur'an, the post-Islamic Arabs took a language that was diverse and evolving and created a system of grammar that remains basically identical today. Anyone who understands standard Arabic or fusha can pick up the Qur'an and read it without any major problems. Now one interesting question that we can ask about this is, what kind of Arabic does the Qur'an express? In other words, did everyday people in the time of the Prophet Muhammad walk around speaking the Arabic of the Qur'an. Many scholars will argue that they didn't. As we have seen in our discussion today, Arabic was a diverse language that changed and existed in various forms, and it is probably, it is quite highly likely that it was spoken in various dialects even back then. I think that what we see in the Qur'an is a kind of high-culture Arabic that wasn't necessarily spoken in daily conversation. Most likely, the Qur'an adapts the language of the Arabic poets at the time, thus representing a kind of poetic Arabic. Indeed, when we look at the famous collection of pre-Islamic poetry known as the Mu'allaqat, or the Hanging Poems, which played an almost equally important role in the development of classical Arabic, we find them to be linguistically similar to the Qur'an. Right, So the Arabic expressed in the Qur'an, the kind of Arabic that the Qur'an contains, uh, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of many uh, other linguists and scholars, was probably not the language that people spoke when they uh, met in the markets uh, on a regular Tuesday. Instead, it was a kind of high Arabic used in things like poetry and maybe in administrative affairs and things like this. So the arrival of the religion of Islam played a central and important role in the development of the Arabic language. We can also, of course, see how this event 
the Prophet Muhammad and the revelation of the Quran uh, affected the geographical spread of the language as well. It seems that it was only after the uh, Prophet Muhammad and his successors had unified Arabia into a unified uh, state that we see the Arabic language being adopted universally across the peninsula. It may even be after this fact that the whole identity of Arab became a universal point of identification for people in this region. And of course, with the later conquests of the Rashidun and Umayyad caliphates, the geographical spread of Arabic became even more significant. It is said that it was the Umayyad caliph Abdul Malik who made Arabic the official language of the empire, thus beginning the process that created the situation as it stands today, with Arabic being spoken as a primary language across the Middle East, North Africa, and in the Middle Ages in southern Spain. But despite the systematization of the Arabic language and its script, as well as its official use across the empire, it seems that some of the native languages and scripts that were used in pre-Islamic periods um, in, the, uh, in, in Arabia continued to exist and perhaps also be used uh, for a while afterwards, a couple of centuries in the post-Islamic period. Thus, even though the Quranic Arabic became widespread as an official Arabic, the assimilation was a gradual one, even in the heart of the peninsula. Of course, the linguistic map is diverse today, just as it was in antiquity, and Arabic, as most of you probably know, is spoken in a variety of different dialects across the Arabic-speaking world, to the point that a person from Iraq often has a very hard time understanding someone from Morocco and vice versa. But the official Arabic of the Qur'an, the liturgical language of Islam and official language of the early caliphates, remain in what is known as Fusha, or Standard Arabic. This is a form of the language that basically everyone learns in school, at least in Arabic-speaking countries. Some newspapers use Fusha in, in, their, in their papers, poetry is written in it, and some news channels like Al Jazeera also use it, but it's never really spoken in everyday conversation. Still, the fact that Fusha has survived even to this day, even though its modern standard Arabic form has a lot of loan words and, and innovations to it, the core aspect of language survives pretty much intact, which shows you the central importance and role played by the Qur'an and the religion of Islam for the general development of the whole Arabic language. In this episode, we have gone on a journey from antiquity up until the modern day. We have seen how the Arabic language started in the northern parts of Arabia, probably being spoken here and also written in various different alphabets and scripts, including uh, Hismaic, Safaitic, and even scripts like the Greek script. It then spread further south into the Arabian Peninsula as far as places like Hejaz and gradually became more widespread in the region and just more popular as a language. We also saw how the Nabataean kingdom and their uh, official script that was used to write administrative um, documents in Aramaic gradually became used to write the Arabic language even after the Nabataean kingdom ended and that as it developed over the first few centuries AD, this script eventually became what we know as the Arabic script today. Finally, we saw that by the 6th century, the final quote-unquote form of Arabic had developed a form of Arabic that was expressed in the sacred scripture of Islam and thus canonized and, you could say, frozen into its classical form, even if it always continues to evolve, of course. 
Clearly then, Arabic is a language that has a long and deep history. Its mysterious yet fascinating origins can help us better appreciate the ways that it persists even today, remaining one of the most widely spoken and significant languages in the world. And I will see you next time. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.